episode of Content Confessions. As always, Hershey Stings 815, a.k.a. The Stone Samurai, joined by my brother Steve, a.k.a. Stu. Stu, how's it going? I'm doing all right, Hersh. How about yourself? Doing pretty well. Just uh, another lovely day. It was in uh, the mid to high 70s down in my neck of the woods. And Lucky you. Uh, it was nice out here, but definitely in like the 40s and 50s. Yeah, we'll see. That's around the 50s is usually what it gets to at night. I think the coldest that we've got is about like 49, 48. Um, so not bad at all. No, not bad at all. I mean, really just put a hoodie on or a jacket and you're good. Um, so today's episode, we're obviously going to be doing a little bit more of, well, what we refer to as a fun episode or a more relaxed episode. Um, and we're just going to go ahead and jump right into it. Now, the first thing that I'm going to be talking about today uh, has to do with the events that took place at Travis Scott's Astroworld uh, Concert Festival. Um, it had taken place uh, over s- several days ago. Um, I'm not going to get into specifics um, too much uh, in, in terms of the damage that was done, because ultimately, um, we're all very much well aware of the people who had passed away and those who were injured. And um, I just want to say for those who uh, were affected by that, obviously it is a very tragic thing. And I think any sane person would feel deeply for anybody who uh, simply just went to a concert expecting to have fun and were not able to come back home. So I just wanted to take a, uh, a moment to extend my condolences. And um, with that being said, I kind of want to shift some of it because the thing that I had noticed, obviously, uh, we live in an online social media world. Um, and I had been on Twitter and I'd seen a lot of the reaction from it, which pretty much only would be naming Travis Scott as the person who is responsible. A lot of people um, saying that, you know, Travis Scott is a piece of shit, which I'm not going to deny. Um, and a lot more importantly, that Travis Scott was taking the the brunt of the blame. And I just kind of wanted to take this opportunity to, to point out a few things. One of which is anytime that you do have a concert or music festival, and there is a situation where there is some sort of panic or some sort of complication. Um, most of the time, it is not just one party that is ever held by. It is usually multiple parties, whether it be the artists themselves, as well as the venue, um, whatever firm, that they use to hire security, et cetera. And with that basis being laid down, um, I had just recently read a Rolling Stones article, Rolling Stone article, sorry. Um, it had been published about, I don't know, maybe an hour or so ago. Uh, forgive me if I'm wrong on the exact time. Um, but the, the article was written by Nancy Dillon and she had interviewed one of the security workers that had been hired by the firm that is, hold on, I have it right here. Um, I believe they're referred to as the CSC group or the Contemporary Services Corps. It's a security for, firm that is usually uh uh, hired by the NRG Stadium, which is where it had taken place. Um, and the reason I'm talking about this in particular is because uh, when I'd seen all of the tweets and everybody kind of doing the, the habitual finger pointing that takes place online, um, I had pointed out that, yes, uh, Travis Scott should be held accountable for his actions and for inciting uh, the panic that took place. However, he shouldn't be the main focus um, or the only focus rather 
of the finger pointing. Now, in this article, she had interviewed Darius Williams. He was a new hire. Um, he had little to no experience going into this before. I think the only thing that he had done security work uh, beforehand was for a Playboy Cardi concert that had taken place at NRG Stadium as well. I think it was about a week or two, maybe a month or so before the incident that took place and Astro World Festival. Um, now, in this article, he mentions a few things that kind of uh, confirmed my suspicions and some of my affirmations that I made. The one main which was he had been quoted in the article saying that at one point during the training and hiring process, he had felt that the group, the CSC is what I'll refer to them, uh, they were basically rushing the process and they just wanted bodies. Um, and that's going to be important to remember because I'm going to pull up a statistic, one of the only statistics that I will pull up um, talking about this. Now, when he started the training uh, procedure for the for the CSC firm, part of that was to get a state license for level two security which uh, for those who are unfamiliar, level two security is basically just understanding of uh, understanding when to use certain force when, whenever there's a large gathering, whether it be, you know, um, any sort of festival that's held. And it's basically to help those who are hired as security, unarmed security, which is level two, um, how to deescalate and when to use any sort of aggressive type of force. Um, the other thing that he had noted while during the uh, during the training process was that there wasn't anything specific to music festivals that was covered within the training program. Nothing regarding crowd control or what to do if a crowd surges, which um, if you're going to be hiring a uh, security officer for a music festival, you would think that would be one of the most important things to cover. Um, but that's just me. Uh, to, get, to go on a little bit further, um, he had said in the article that uh, the majority of those trainees that were uh, in this uh, training, uh, training room, particularly, the majority of them had kind of all agreed that they wanted to hurry up and get it done. It was, a, I think the training process had taken anywhere between five to eight hours, and everybody just kind of wanted to get home because they had to be back at the venue uh, the next day at seven in the morning. Um, while they were taking this exam to get certified, he had noted that it was an open book exam and the instructor even went as far as to highlight the answers for them. So it was basically um, instructors saying these are the answers, just go ahead and say this and confirming uh, what he had said earlier in the article was stating that he had felt that they just wanted bodies. Um, he had mentioned before while he was working at that Playboy Cardi concert, I had mentioned before that uh, when, while he was working there, he had witnessed um, a group of uh, concert goers uh, knock over a metal detector, knock over a few metal barricades that were um, keeping those from the outside coming into the property, as well as seeing a group of individuals that attacked a security officer. He had voiced his concerns to the instructor and to a few of the other people who were currently employed with CSC. And after doing so, he was told that he could walk the perimeter. Um, 
The only thing was he would not be given any sort of equipment, whether that be pepper spray, whether that be a taser, a baton, and he wasn't even given anything as simple as a walkie-talkie. Um, now, he had gone on to uh, talk briefly about some of the pandemonium that took place, and again, uh, that's not necessarily my focus for this. I just wanted to bring up a quick little stat, because the... Uh, I believe it was the police chief, and I and I could be wrong on that, um, had come out and made a statement citing that there was uh, 528 police that were present and 755 security officers that were on guard, <clears throat> excuse me, on guard that night. And he had mentioned that he had took, he, he had said specifically, and he was quoted saying that, I really hope that they didn't count me as one of the 755 security because I wouldn't consider myself a security guard or security officer. Um, and it's the main reason I wanted to bring that up is to, again, kind of reaffirm what I had said on Twitter and my belief that I still have, which is um, at the end of the day, there is blame to be put on the artist. Um, I am understanding that, uh, when there was a moment that people started pushing over one another and that there were um, there was pandemonium taking place, that he stopped for a moment and then continued on with the concert, making it even harder for those who were on the ground, who were part of security staff or medical staff. Um, it did make the situation harder. However, had those staff been trained properly or had they been funded properly, um, it's quite possible that even amongst all the chaos that had been insinuated uh, and exacerbated by Travis Scott, that it could have been prevented. Um, and I know that was kind of a long-winded, uh, quick little introduction, but I wanted to to make sure to quickly cover um, that perspective and to get that narrative out there, because unfortunately, the only narrative that I'm seeing online is that it is all Travis Scott's fault. Now, Steve, I know that you didn't really see too much about what had taken place, but you did see um, a few things about the Astral World concert itself. Did you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, before I get to what I had seen personally, I just, one of the things that makes me think about, or that I think about when it comes to this story is, you know, he may not be responsible for everything that happened. It's really the company that he hired for security, like you were talking about, the production company, the venue company, like, all the different stuff that goes into it. But part of re, part of the artist's responsibility when they're either looking into booking a venue or looking to hire people is they have to make sure that those people are able and capable of doing what they need to do. And one of the jokes you always hear is that, you know, you, you hear about a diva or a demanding artist where they have in their contract that they don't want to have any brown M&Ms in the, in the dressing room. You know, like they want a bowl that's all the brown ones are taken out. And it's always told as like a symbol of a joke. Like, look at these people. They're so demanding. They're used to having their every whim catered to. And really what that comes down to, at least the, the story from like the 80s when these bands were touring and like these arena tours and that kind of thing, is you did that because if they couldn't even get that part of the contract right, imagine what else they're going to fuck up. If yeah. they can't get something that, you know, is seemingly simple and seemingly stupid that maybe they won't really pay attention to because they aren't going to think it matters. What other corners are they going to cut when it comes to either security or safety, that kind of thing. So really it's kind of like a, a weird test, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's, that's the first thing I thought of. And then 
the couple of things I did see were kind of tying into something that I think is going on a lot right now. And it's kind of an echo of something that, that happened in the eighties when I was growing up and it, it ties into like a new wave of the satanic panic. And I had seen a, a couple of videos on Twitter or reference from like TikTok and that kind of thing where people were saying that there was subliminal stuff going on and that people were getting injected with like a mysterious chemical that was making people hallucinate and respond to the music and basically making them either attack people or, or go crazy. And it just kind of ties into a lot of the current stuff that we see in our culture, whether it's QAnon or other uh, Christian and right-wing conspiracies where, you know, there's these evil Satanists who are out to either cause chaos or to, or to uh, hurt people in one way or the other. And I just thought that was an interesting angle on something I didn't know too much about, but at least it could tie into other stuff that I do at least have some knowledge on. Well, and, and the thing is for a long time, um, and, and you had mentioned the eighties and I'm, and I'm glad that you brought this up because I, I was talking to a group of friends on discord and we, and we were talking about the events that took place at Astro World and it had been brought up some of the flyers that were being passed out and some of the promotional images that they had. Some of the promotional images included things like, you know, a uh, devil's face or a demon type figure, um, people entering some sort of portal. And a lot of this stuff was uh, the same type of imagery that you saw groups like Black Sabbath or the particular artists that everybody knows from Black Sabbath, Ozzy Osbourne use or just name any other sort of metal or hair metal band that grew up and boomed in the 80s. It was always used, as you had mentioned before, by uh, the conservative right and the religious right um, as ways to kind of demonize the music and, and claim that the reason that the younger generation hates, you know, uh, the status quo is because they're being brainwashed by this music. Um and that was mainly a lot to do, not just with people hating that music, but because whatever is part of, quote, culture, right, which culture is a very loose word, um, especially nowadays. Uh, but culture uh, has switched from being a rock influence type culture to where I think everybody can safely say or agree, rather, that uh, hip hop and rap has taken over American culture and has become a very big uh, part of the um, American persona. And um, with that, you're always going to have, you know, people from the right in particular that are trying to damn it one way or another. And I think the well, other, go a, ahead. A, a major aspect you can see right now with that is a uh, little Nas X. Correct. Um, like where he gets like extremely demonized um, for, for their music videos, for, for their music itself, for just the way they dress or, or compose themselves, you know, like, that's uh they're getting like stuff on social media where they're you know they're people are accusing Lil Nas X of being either uh, a Satanist outright or just in the in the throes of Satan you know like that kind of bullshit. Yeah, part of Satan's army and blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. And as as you had mentioned, I I, th I think the other level to this is that anytime uh, corporate media um, and, and just America in general, anytime that you can. Um, put any sort of blame on a person of color, um, specifically black people, um, they will jump at the uh, 
at the opportunity and they will relish in it and they will try to use every single angle that is possible to uh, throw that person under the bus. And, you know, everyone's favorite word from that side, they, they love canceling people, specifically rappers. So I just, I wanted to kind of bring up that perspective to it and make people aware of my opinion, because I have the microphone and you don't. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's a good transition to uh, going to our next story as we're talking about uh, the QAnons and the uh, religious right and the quote independent thinkers. Um, let's go to everybody's favorite independent thinker, um, Mr. Aaron Rodgers. Throw Rogan. Yeah, Mr. Throw Rogan, indeed. You know, I'd seen a quote, I think it was uh, Trevor Noah from. Uh, the Daily Show, which I, I don't really watch Daily Show anymore. I used to watch it with Jon Stewart, but kind of fell off after that. Yeah, Trevor Noah's pretty terrible. Yeah, I don't care for him too much. Um, but he had a good quote, uh, you know, because even a broken clock is right twice a day. But he had a good, good quote that was talking about, isn't it funny that the people who always talk about, like, I'm an independent thinker, I'm an independent thinker, they always end up thinking the same exact thing and they always get it from the same source. Like, what should I think about independently today, Mr. Joe Rogan? Um, <laughs> and with that, I'll turn it over to you because I know that you had uh, had a way that you wanted to talk about this story in particular. Yeah, like, I know a lot of people have probably already heard it, especially since we're talking about it a couple of days after the game on Sunday where they look like shit except for the defense, so I'd rather not talk about that too much. Um, <laughs> but I just want to say a couple things really quick. Like, you know, as far as Co Aaron Rodgers having COVID and then the interview that he gave on the Pat McAfee show, which was really too bad because that was one of my favorite things about last season was the interviews that he was doing with McAfee. And now he's kind of gotten really weird. I've, I've been saying to my partner that there have been signs about this coming along so I just wanted to talk a little bit about the interview, but also some stuff that I've been noticing in the last year or so, and uh, where I think there might be more to this story that people are even aware of. Um, but just really quickly, not to cover it too much, but he obviously lied in that original interview, or he misled people. He didn't necessarily lie, but every, however you want to say it, where he said that he had been immunized, where he had been taking homeopathic uh alternative medicine trying to build up his immune system whatever the hell that means um to where he had applied for vaccination status but was denied by both the league and the team um he he had every right to make the decision that he did not to get the the vaccine like you're you're more than okay not to get it i think it's irresponsible i think it's a bad decision but it, he's more than in his right to do that but where he was wrong was in lying in the interview, being mis at least misleading. Um, and then in the new interview, he pretty much doubled down on it. Well, he did make a couple good points. He did have a couple good points about how the protocols are pretty silly. Like, um, you know, you have to go out to your car while you're waiting for your test if you don't have the vaccine. But if you have the vaccine, you can go into the facility. And even if you get a positive test, you can go in there while you're talking to everybody. There's, there's silly stuff, but just like in real life, you know, there's been silly rules that everybody had to deal with, and it kind of undershot what everybody was trying to do as far as the protocols go, but we've all kind of dealt with that and fucking sucked it up, you know? And Yeah, we'll, 
I'm sorry. I was just going to say it's just it's it's a showcasing of Aaron Rodgers feeling as if the rules do not apply to him. Well, that's exactly what I was about to say, too, is that he is a member of the NFL Players Association. They had rules that they negotiated with the league as far as what the protocols would be, what the procedures would be. Even though he doesn't necessarily agree with them, he is a member of the Players Association. He has to follow those procedures and those protocols. Just like you and I may not like what is done with our tax dollars as far as defense spending, but we still pay our fucking taxes, right? Exactly. Like, like I don't want to go to jail. So guess what? I pay my fucking taxes. Um, I'm not saying that that's the same thing, but like, it's just another example of, like you said, Rogers thinking that something maybe doesn't apply to him. And he kind of really undercut any of his good points by saying he wanted to be above the politics by leading off with saying, you know, uh, I know the woke left is coming, you know, has me in their, what did he say, in their crosshairs? In the crosshairs, yeah. And that they're putting the final coffin in my cancel or my cancel culture coffin. So he was really antagonistic throughout the whole thing. And not only did that language scream of somebody who is obsessed with cancer, cancel culture and being anti-left, he really didn't have too much to say about the right other than when he thought he might get lionized by the right. He said he didn't really care about that. But, it, but it's pretty obvious that a lot of the talking points that he has, he may think are independent, but it's pretty right-wing. And some of the stuff that scared me was his seeming anti-vax status or like stance. Um, he talked about being, you know, allergic to the mRNA stuff. I don't know how he knows that without taking the vaccine. Um, he may know that. That may be something I'm not aware of, but it just seemed kind of odd to me. He talked a lot about doing his own research and doing research of doctors when it's been clear that all the mainstream scientists, just like in climate change and that kind of stuff, all the people who really know what the fuck they're talking about and should be trusted pretty much agree on this kind of thing. He talked about using ivermectin, which is that weird horse pace shit that I'm pretty sure we talked about before. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, he pretty much was spouting off not only these right-wing anti- COVID talking points, you know, anti-vax talking points, but he was even veering into like QAnon territory. And I think that was really the scariest point for me. And before I get into a little bit more evidence of my QAnon theory, did you want to mention anything really quick? Yeah. I just wanted to quickly say um, the, the horse pace thing. Now it is a bit of a, uh, a meme, um, because the the thing is, uh, yes, I, I know the, the, I know there's a human form of ivermectin, yeah, but it's an, yeah. it's an anti parasite. Anti parasite, no, and that's exactly what I was going to say. And I just yeah. also wanted to bring up you had mentioned um, Aaron Rodgers, you know, citing that he had talked to numerous doctors. But I'm curious as to if he talked to an epidemiologist, if he talked to a virologist, or because yeah. you can you know, talk to any doctor. Like I can go talk to like my general physician about anything. Doesn't mean he knows what the fuck he's talking about. Yeah, well, I mean, and the majority of the of the quote doctors that are coming out saying stuff like, "Oh, just you know, take more vitamin C and zinc and exercise forehead." Um, the majority of those doctors are like foot doctors or like chiropractors, which I think anybody, even those who aren't even in the medical profession, will all say that like chiropractors are the biggest fucking sham of like the medical practice ever. Yeah, uh, it's pretty much not seen as like a real part of the medical field. So I, I just quickly wanted to add that, but please continue. No, and um, I had been saying for a, a, a probably about a year 
to my partner and other people that I thought something weird was going on with Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers has always been kind of a strange cat, right? Like he's always kind of, you know, he's been a weird kind of dude. He's been a, he marches to his own drum, you know? And that's been cool with me because usually the stuff that he said went against the grain of what you would think is more like jock, macho, like a locker room kind of culture. Um, it seemed to have kind of shifted though in the last year or so. He's been like, if you followed his Twitter account at all, he would retweet like Ricky Gervais and other people a lot and like other right wing accounts who constantly complain about being canceled, even though they have some of the largest platforms in the world. And still have um, plenty of sponsorships and, and yeah. multi million dollar deals and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Like Ricky Gervais would go on like anti trans rants, like every other fucking English person in the world and would complain while he's hosting the Golden Globes. And it's like, come on, dude. Um, just like Rogers are talking about him being canceled while he's on a, on a podcast and radio show that like hundreds of thousands of people are watching live, if not millions later, you know? Um, so it's kind of rich coming that way. But another thing that had been going on is he had a, he has a close relationship with Barstool and you can, you can like, I guess, Barstool if you want to, I, I, they aren't really my cup of tea. I think they're very misogynist and very racist, and they've also been accused of stealing people's content when it comes to social media and that kind of thing. Um, so I'm not really a huge fan of Barstool myself. They they pretty much engage in like harassment campaigns online against women they don't like and that kind of stuff. But he has a close relationship with Dave Portnoy, who is the founder of Barstool, and they went into like a small they went to this thing where they were donating to small businesses during COVID, which is like cool. Like go for it. Like I'm glad you're trying to help people out. But he was also complaining about Gavin Newsom and about the COVID restrictions in California and, and about how there was hurting small businesses, which that, that is right. Like the governments probably didn't do enough and they had mixed messaging and Gavin Newsom is a fucking asshole. You know, like I don't like him either. But you yeah. can come at that from the left. You don't have to go that far right to critique these kind of things is my point, you know. Mm. So there, there have been a lot of things like this. And then, you know. I've been talking a lot. I really enjoy the QAnon Anonymous podcast. And I talk about it with, constantly with you, Hirsch, on the podcast here. I talk about it in real life because it's one of those things where, like, I am very interested in what the right wing is up to and the, and the ideas that they have going on and about what I think is kind of coming up next, you know? And mm-hmm. I watch the Twitch stream for one of the guys, Julian Field. He does it every other day, if not every day. Um, and I was watching one time and before he started, he kind of had like an intro the photo up while you're kind of warming up and getting everything ready. And I was like, man, this guy looks like Aaron Rodgers. Why is Aaron Rodgers on my QAnon Twitch stream? And it was a photo. It looked like a photo of a dude who looked like Aaron Rodgers, Jake from State Farm, you know, from the commercials. Yeah. And this kid, this guy named Scotty the Kid. And I think I had mentioned him before Hirsch. He's a he's a former rapper who became like involved in the Save the Children rallies, which is like basically tied in with QAnon. Maybe yeah, if I didn't I, I can't remember if I did mention him or not, like on the podcast. I just wanted to make sure. No, not um, on the podcast, but I think we talked about it uh off podcast. And and um, I would I wouldn't mind talking more about him in the future, but it's kind of beside the point. But he's a dude who's heavily in, who was heavily involved in like organizing these Save the Children rallies because QAnon believes you know that 
there was human, there was all this human trafficking going on of children where the liberals and the deep state are all Satanists who torture and like terrify these children so that they can then take the adrenochrome and live forever because they're like vampire reptile people. It, yeah. it gets really fucked up the more you think about it. But like Scotty the Kid has kind of taken on like this new branch of QAnon where they kind of don't go into all the other kind of stuff right away, but they focus on the human trafficking side and like saving the children kind of thing, you know? And in this photo, as I looked, it was Aaron Rodgers. And as the stream started, he was like, hey, it looks like Aaron Rodgers recorded a commercial with Scotty the Kid. And I thought that was really fucked up. And I turned to my partner and I was like, hey, look at this. Like, Aaron Rodgers is shooting a commercial with a QAnon dude. I think Aaron Rodgers is pilled. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of tongue in cheek, you know, but I was like kind of worried too. Cause I, like I said, I had, I had been kind of thinking about it for a while, but then like this last interview, man, like somebody on Twitter was like, somebody should have like Pat McAfee should have asked him, does he believe in Q? And I was like, Holy fuck. This is exactly what I was thinking because he pretty much was using the talking points of like, there's this group like frontline doctors or some shit like that. I can't remember for sure. But they're, they're tied in with like a lot of this Q, like anti-COVID kind of stuff that doesn't necessarily mention Q anymore, but it's all the same people. Now, and, and, I just want to quickly ask, you had mentioned the frontline doctors. I think it's like doctors on the frontline or frontline doctors. Yeah, one of they've the changed their name like once or twice, but it's basically that. Now, isn't that the group where the lady who claimed that like demons are like artificially inseminating people and shit like that? Like she was talking about demon sperm. Was, isn't she, she part of that? I think she was connected to the original group. She was basically this woman that, that Trump had as part of his COVID response team where she has basically said in the past that endometriosis, which is like gross in the, um, in the uterus like really painful gross often like that can result in tumors and into cancer like gross if it's not treated um that that was caused by them having sex with demons while they were sleeping that's or, or, or while they were conscious and so it was like a demon seed kind of thing like a belief that endometriosis and all these other things are, are real but they're caused by demons and unfortunately what, what happened what happens with endometriosis is it's one of those painful kind of things that can affect you really badly but until they do a, a, a certain kind of medical procedure they can't tell for sure what's happening with it and so a lot of women aren't believed or a lot of um people who have a uterus aren't believed that anything is going on and so they're often told oh you're just out for painkillers you're just imagining it yeah. and, and so this was a woman who kind of took advantage of that and who was like oh i believe you but you're having sex with demons whether you realize it or not and so it's an extra kind of, yeah, it's an extra, well, it's an extra kind of evil if you think about it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like taking advantage of people who aren't listened to otherwise. But yeah, no, she was connected, I think, to the original group. I don't know if she still is, but there's other doctors who go around um, to all these anti-vaccine, anti-COVID restriction kind of rallies and that kind of thing, and they drum up people. But like I said, I was just... I was really surprised when I saw that original photo of Rogers. I think I shared it to you. I don't know if you had a chance to look at it, but I don't know if it's the people around him or if he kind of has just withdrawn himself so much that he kind of took this Q pill 
or if he's always been kind of veering that way and maybe it was just the the pandemic like everybody else being in, in quarantine that everybody went a little bit stir crazy and just ever some people went left and some people went right well the, with that um i'm not going to name names um on a journalistic standpoint but i do have a source um of somebody who is uh in relations to the Rogers family out in California. Um, apparently, uh, Rogers, Aaron Rogers, who I'm referring to, he has kind of always been the, what's the best way to put it, odd man out or the black sheep of the family, always kind of been the one to go against the grain. And from what I was told from this source, which is, uh, to, which is close to the Rogers family, um, and and I know this makes me sound like really cool, but it's really not as cool as it sounds. Um, but basically, he is a very, very large anti-vaxxer um, behind closed doors, if that's anything worth noting. Um, well, and I I do wonder if it's one of those things, like you, like you said, where he's always been like this, at least in one respect, and he just ended up buying into everything else, or if it was all just kind of there, and that was the one that stood out, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, he's from Chico, California, so anything's possible. Well, um, and he, but he went to Berkeley, though, too. And, like, Berkeley is, like, you know, especially in conservative eyes, like, like left-wing valley. Oh, yeah, that's, that's communist college, according to them. Yeah. yeah, and so, like, to me, he always seemed, like, a little bit above that kind of stuff where he wasn't the, the pure jock dude who was just a reactionary. I remember he had a, he had a quote a couple of years back where people were talking about um, – Islam being disrespected and like people were making like slurs against somebody or something was going on. And he had like a really good quote about it. And he seemed like a dude who was very thoughtful and at least put together um, as far as a public facing kind of thing went. But I just wonder, like I said, if the quarantine just made it so he just doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. One. And I mean, also too the, the unfortunate thing, a lot of these right wing movements um, do play on people's emotions and things that people are passionate for. Obviously, one of the easiest ones being children, right? Everybody is very uh, protective of children because the idea of kids, you know, the innocence, et cetera, et cetera. Well, um, and that's where they get pilled really easily, right? Is it is everybody's in favor of saving the children, dude, right? Like, you know, like who doesn't want to? Who doesn't want to stop pedophiles? Exactly, because it's it's an easy it's an easy thing to win on, right? Like nobody's ever going to say like, oh, well, you know, pedophiles are good people. Like there's never, there's never going to be anybody who will try to. Oh, um, it's why cigarette tax always passes, right? Exactly. Right. The, the easy. Not to compare the two, but you know what I mean? No, no, I get your point. The, the thing I want to say um, in, in terms of the whole Aaron Rodgers situation, um, one and first and foremost um, I hope that this is a lesson for uh, sports fans that are out there um, to understand that it's very important to know who your heroes are. And I'm not saying that Aaron Rodgers was a hero for me. Um, he was definitely somebody that I had looked up to, as you had mentioned before. There were a few things that had come up in the league, whether it was certain players that were being singled out. I remember um, even when the uh, the Bennett brothers um, – had been coming under attack for defending Colin Kaepernick. Um, if I remember correctly, Aaron Rodgers had come out and made a statement saying basically that both uh, Martellus Bennett and his brother, uh, who had played on the Seahawks at the time, I'm forgetting the exact name, um, 
I remember him somewhat standing up for them and standing up for the right for those for them to to protest what they believe in. Um, and there's been some other instances that, as as you mentioned previously, where Aaron Rodgers had kind of stepped up and gone against the typical uh, quote locker room speak as we as we often hear referred to. Um, the other thing I just want to quickly add in is that. At the end of the day, I, you know, I know whether it be on my streams or whether it be in conversations that I have person to person or within a group setting, um, I often do make jokes about people who are anti-vax basically stating things like, you know, well, you know, anybody who's anti-vax is fucking stupid and just like giving them immunization um, or, well, I shouldn't say that because that's the word that Roger said, get the vaccination. Um, however, I will say that I I'm under the belief system that you know what if somebody doesn't want to get vaccinated that is not necessarily fine but I will not I will not be the person to say that like people should be getting forced to be vaccinated right no but you I should understand think... that like not everything is going to be as easy for you going forward and there well, are going to be consequences that's that's my next point which is as much as I believe that um, the vaccine shouldn't be forced. I'm also in, under the belief of if you're not willing to take part in a community effort, which is wearing a mask, getting vaccinated, then you should be not necessarily shunned, but restricted from community interaction and community engagement. Now, I'd actually seen a video of one of my favorite uh, leftists out there, Mr. Noam Chomsky, and he had brought up a similar point where he was basically stating that, you know, if anybody does want to get vaccinated, that is their prerogative, that is their freedom, that is their choice. However, if they do not want to get vaccinated, then they should understand that there will be consequences. And one of the quick rebuttals for a lot of these people who do not want to get vaccinated is, you know, well, how am I supposed to eat? How am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to do that? Well, you know what? That's your fucking problem, not ours, because you're the one who decided you didn't want to get a free vaccination. Because that's the other thing. If, because I know part of the vaccine mandate, and this is what I wish uh, corporate media, but corporate media will never do it. Um, but I wish corporate media was better about stating is that, yes, there is a vaccine mandate that is being passed around federally. However, even within that mandate, it states that if you do not get the vaccine, because they're still letting people get the option, that you have to show proof of a negative COVID test, which will cost you out of pocket. Now, one of the things I see a lot online is people, especially those from the right, that are constantly saying this thing like, oh, you know, when it comes to the vaccines, just follow the money, follow the money. Follow what fucking money, you stupid dribbling moron? Like, it's a free fucking vaccination. You don't have to pay for it. The one time that our government does something that's actually good for the better of people, you want to try to say that it's about money when it's literally a fucking free thing. And the only thing that does cost is the test or the fucking ivermectin or whatever other bullshit scam that these fucking YouTubers and TikTok doctors are trying to sell you, whether it be vitamin C pills or zinc, things that aren't FDA approved by the fucking way, which was everybody's, uh, I oh, don't want to get the vaccine because it's not FDA approved, but then they'll fucking be taking like on it pills from Joe Rogan that aren't FDA approved and shit. Um, well, and what's funny too is like a couple of the guys I follow online, um, from the QAnon podcast, they they talk about 
stuff that's going on or they retweet people who are, who are kind of involved in keeping an eye on these right wingers and other QAnon people as well. And one of the stories that got tweeted out was um, one of the people running for mayor in our, our, our assumed to be hometown is a guy named Gene Ho. Um, and he was there about a week and a half ago in Myrtle Beach talking about running for mayor. And he was at like a conservative conference that was just there. And I believe another person who's connected to QAnon, is it Horry County where Myrtle Beach is at, or is that right next door at Kirsch? Um, that's that's where it's located. But if, if you say Horry County down here, people will laugh at you and know that it's you're Ori. It's Horry, right? Horry, yeah. yeah. But like I was just saying it so that people could know how to spell it. Correct, um, yeah. H-O-R-R-Y. Yeah. Horry uh, County is um, – there's a woman – named Tracy Bean or who goes by Tracy Beans. I can't remember her real name, but she was like an early QAnon person who like helped get it, get like all the shit kind of going on YouTube and everything like that. She's actually on either the County board or like the board of education. Mm-hmm. And so where we're, where we're going to be is actually maybe has a possibility of being like a QAnon kind of central area. And so we might have an opportunity with our podcast to maybe recover some things firsthand. And that I think that'll be interesting. Well, without a doubt, I think um, I went out to um, not to steer too far away. So cut me off if I do, um, or if, if I end up getting uh, too long winded, um, I'd went out to lunch with one of the neighbors I had met uh, here in the, in the area that we're staying. And the place that we had went to, um, we went towards the back of this restaurant. It's a local, uh, local small business. And we went to the back and there was like this round table and basically it was set up for normally a party, but because of the time of day and because they didn't have any groups that were coming in, they seated, you know, people who didn't even necessarily know each other at the table together. So it was me, the gentleman I had went with. And when we first got there, there was two other people at the table and eventually there was just one. Um, and while I was sitting there uh, having a conversation with, uh, with the new neighbor, we were both getting to know each other. Um, this other gentleman started chiming in um, when he had heard when I told him what home state uh, I, I am from. And all I got to say, Steve, is that it is very interesting down here. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Um, and it's not even I, – I think the main thing that uh, – just to kind of put um, a point to this little mini rant is that I think whether it be the QAnon sect of the right wing or it be any of these other numerous groups that, that sprung out and have all these million millionaire backings, um, at the end of the day, the – the thing that they're trying to draw at is is dehumanizing the other side to no longer see anybody who isn't a Republican as human or worthy of life. Well, and even some Republicans, it's why they call them all rhinos, you know, Republican and name only. And name only, correct. And I think that um, it's only going to get worse the longer that we have people who try to play this game of saying like, oh, well, you know, I'm a – uh, I'm a moderate. I'm a, I'm a centrist. I, I think centrism well, is the answer, which is complete bullshit. And um, to give you there, give you uh, a prime example of how it how it's so dangerous is that Gene Ho that I mentioned, who's running for mayor of Myrtle Beach, 
not only is he a, you know, a far-right conservative who believes in QAnon and a lot of the weird theories, but he's also connected to the Proud Boys. And um, the Proud Boys are a known racist, racist and misogynist and transphobic organization and homophobic organization who are willing to get violent, who are willing to get involved with stuff. Um, the Proud Boys also have connections to a guy named Sean uh, Foyt, who I had mentioned before, you know, that, that Christian guy, um, Hirsch. Remember I mentioned he had a couple of events like in D.C. and that kind of thing before where he has ties to the Proud Boys as well. So, like, you have this weird combination of uh, basically an old-school combination of anti-Semitism, Christianity, conspiratorial thinking that it, it can take its take a path that is violent. And, and I just want to quickly... And that's and not I to say that quickly. Aaron Rodgers is going to get violent, but, like, it's representative of people who are buying into stuff that can lead to violence. Yeah, and I, I just want to quickly add in, um, in terms of the Proud Boys, now, there might be some people listening, and they're going to say, oh, the Proud Boys, isn't the leader um, Hispanic? Um, I believe he is mixed with Hispanic race. Well, um, really, and, you, you and can the consider... Most thing, I'll, I'll those... just say this, and I'll finish real quick. Sorry. The most important thing to, to keep aware of is that the leader of the Proud Boys is also, I don't know if anybody's realized this yet or not, based off of like how he just happened to be arrested before January 6th. He's also an FBI informant. So I just want to put You're talking about Tiny or whatever his name is, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I was just going to say like based on just our, our series of Latin America, we know there are people, especially who don't consider themselves, uh, you know, a person of color who are who are Latino or Hispanic, you know, they consider themselves white. Yeah, and one of the best examples of that would be uh, Cuban Americans, uh, people who had either fleed from Cuba during the Castro regime when it was first starting in the '60s um, and '70s, or whether it was Cubans who had fled from uh, uh, from that island um, during the '80s and '90s and in even the early 2000s. So yes, well, I, I just wanted to add that in. Well, I mean, and look at like George Zimmerman too, right? Like that was another example of, of somebody who would be coded Latino in some situations or coded white in others, depending on on the situation. But, well, and I mean, oh, I'm sorry. I just wanted to quickly add too, as we as we had mentioned in previous episodes, um, the idea of whiteness is something that is always uh, expanding and contrasting simultaneously whatever suits the needs of those who are actually those who consider themselves pure white oh yeah and i imagine a person like tiny like he doesn't consider himself a person of color because he doesn't we live in we live right now unfortunately in a grievance culture like and i don't mean that usually in the way that it's said from the right wing we live in a society where people like tiny can say, oh, I'm not a person of color because I'm not constantly bitching about racism. I'm not a person who's saying that, like, I have it bad. Like, I'm willing to work. I'm willing to do blah, blah, blah. And so they see themselves as better, even if they consider people, even their same uh, demographic or, or category, as being an other. And, and so I think that's really the dangerous thing. And like I said, it, it's not that Aaron Rodgers is going to be dangerous or that he is buying into the dangerous stuff here, but, like, people taking that pill, you know, just look at the people that they're tied to and, and you can get an idea of, of why it's dangerous to even move in that direction. Without a doubt. 
Sorry that that, that um, went longer than, than I meant it to. No, 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 you're fine. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to add um, about Mr. Aaron Rodgers? No, I just I hope the Packers do well, but it is kind of weird to be rooting for somebody that I kind of am very disappointed in, and I want the team to succeed, and therefore I guess him to succeed, but I mm. don't really – I feel conflicted about that now. And it's weird to do that for like – a personal reason that isn't like, oh, he's a piece of shit who like is racist or he beat his wife or he killed somebody in a car accident. Like he just believes in some stupid shit, but it, it is despicable for its own reason. Yeah, I definitely, after hearing his comments in that first uh, press conference and his interview with, uh, with Pat McAfee, um, I think the best word to, Describe how I felt was just overall disappointed. Um, I felt that Aaron Rodgers was one of the few people specifically in the Midwest region um, who who he had given me a little bit of hope that perhaps there, there was some sort of uh, silver lining or some sort of uh, optimism to be had um, for that specific area and that specific region. But unfortunately, I was proved to be wrong. Yep. Um, but speaking of Proud Boys, um, I think we're going to transition now. Um, fellow hangout and probably prospect of the Proud Boys, um, there's been a court trial that's been going on for the past, uh, going on seven days by the time that everybody listens to this. Um, Kyle Rittenhouse, who is currently on trial for the murder of two people and uh, the shooting of three in total. Um, There was a incident in Kenosha, Wisconsin um, in 2020 where a man named uh, Jacob Blake, I believe his name was, had been shot multiple times in the back by a police officer. um, And people in Kenosha had taken to the streets for the next uh, several days there were a lot of protests and I don't even after well, watching to put it in con- well to put it in context too, like that summer was very, very hectic. And there's a lot of that kind of stuff that blurs together. That was the incident that caused the Milwaukee bucks to decide to, to form the wildcat strike and not play their game that night in the basketball uh, bubble. Correct. Um, and, and, and there was multiple uh, Black Lives Matter protests that were going on uh, throughout the country, whether it was places like Seattle, D.C., um, just because it seemed like 2020 was the year that cops are like, yo, let's just try to kill as many unarmed people as we can. Um, well, and you had the quarantine going on, and like you said, you had uh, you know stuff popping off left and right that seemed to only get worse after the stuff in Minneapolis, right? Correct, yeah. Especially after the George Floyd stuff. Um, yeah. Now, the the main thing is, and I don't even. There was definitely people that were obviously there was people out there who were protesting throughout the several days, and then on top of that, there were people who were destructive, um, people who were damaging property, people who were damaging vehicles, etc. I don't even want to call them rioters because. After watching the trial for uh, several days and seeing different images and, and different videos and accounts, whether it be 
FBI footage, uh, people who were on the ground. I mean, honestly, to the extent that I saw, there was a few dumpsters that were set on fire and uh, a couple traffic cones and a porta potty knocked over. So to refer to that as uh, rioting when I am well aware of actual riots that took place, like one of the most famous American riots that took place, which was the Watts riots that took place back in what was 65, right? Either 63 or 65. Somewhere in between there. Um, those were fucking riots. Um, well, this even was just so, like, who gives a fuck about property damage, you know? Exactly. Property can be replaced. There's insurance for that. Lives cannot. Um, and, and even uh, in most defense, self-defense laws, um, when it comes to defending property, um, it clearly states that if you do have, you can use a weapon to defend property, but you cannot use a weapon to kill while defending property, which is a very key note. Um, as well, I mentioned, you had, all the, you had all this other shit popping off too, right? Like, I remember it was either in Houston or somewhere else where this guy was, was putting out on right wing social media, like, hey, I'm going to go down and defend the, the bar where I always hang out and I'm going to make sure that nobody can damage it. And they ended up releasing footage of this dude had like a fucking katana or some shit like that where he was running around in front of the bar chasing people with it. And then, like, somebody shot him because he came at them with a fucking katana. Yeah. You know, so, like, you had all these people thinking that they were, like, oh, going to defend property against, like, the, against, you know, like, the BLM uh, protesters and, and Antifa. And mm-hmm. so you had these right-wing people strapping up or fucking going out there. You had the Boogaloo boys, like, trying to provoke shit, like, for reasons that are either, notor- like, nefarious at, at worst or, like, K- like... I guess chaotic neutral at best, but Mm -hmm. you know, so there were, there was all this kind of other stuff going on that kind of feeds in the context of what we're going to talk about too. Um, As I had mentioned, there were three people who were shot in total. Uh, Two of those people are uh, deceased. There was Kyle Rosenbaum, Anthony Huber and Gage Groshowitz. Now Gage Groshowitz is the only person who was shot by Kyle Rittenhouse who is still alive. Um, he is the one that, uh, for those who had been paying attention to that when it happened, or even those who are watching the trial now, he is the one who had been shot in the bicep and had lost a good chunk of his arm um, during that shooting. Um, now, before I get into stuff that I'd seen about the trial, I will just state um, my feeling uh, towards the incidents that took place in Kenosha, as my brother had iterated at the end of the day, I could give two shits about property damage. Um, the majority of buildings, the majority of businesses, um, they have specific insurance that protects them from that to where they won't be having to pay out of pocket. Um, they won't be suffering any sort of losses. Um, specifically, they'll still get to live and they'll still be able to have their business at the end of the day. Um my main issue uh, with this whole thing before I get into the specifics is that to give the idea to anybody, regardless of what political ideology you fall on, whether it be right wing, whether it be left wing, whether you consider yourself a moderate, which, as I've stated before on numerous episodes, I don't believe in uh, neutrality. I think that's a bullshit stance. Um I think it's very dangerous to set a precedent of arming yourselves 
and specifically going out to an area where there is chaos happening and expecting nothing uh, to happen. I think that's just bullshit. I think it's asinine, and I think it's a very dangerous thing because um, as somebody who definitely believes in the ACAB lifestyle, and for those who aren't familiar with what ACAB stands for, um, it definitely doesn't stand for all cops are beautiful. I'll just leave it at that. Um, but I, it, it is with the understanding that the police are always looking for an excuse to shoot someone. It's, uh, it's the sad thing is, is that the majority of people who join the police force, whether they want to admit it or not, the majority of them, they just want to play call of duty IRL. They want to be able to exert power and to use that power towards their gain or towards the gain of the police department, which at the end of the day, there are only two main uh, roles that the police department serves. That is to protect businesses and to make sure that workers' rights are never secure. Um, and that, and well, again, police forces were formed to protect property. Like if you look at their origins, that is what their intent is, is to enforce property law whether that was personal property like a home from theft, you know, burglary, that kind of thing, or, you know, vandalism, uh, trespassing, or whether it was in the South, people. That's where the slave patrols are like the original formation of like early police forces. Exactly. Now, throughout this trial, there have been I think so far there's been up to between 17 and 20 witnesses who have been called up to this moment when we're recording. And again, today is Dude, Tuesday we would never morning. we would never be allowed on one of those juries because as soon as they asked us one of those questions, I'd be like, fuck the police, man. ACAB. <laughs> yeah, fuck ACAB. It's, seriously, fuck 12 all day. Um, we now, would get kicked out. They'd be like, we hold you in contempt. <laughs> yeah, seriously, they'd fucking they'd throw us in jail. Um, I hold this entire court in contempt. Now I'll say to you that these here leftist commie antifas. Um, I'm just a simple country lawyer, but this is bullshit. <laughs> now, throughout the trial, there had been uh, between 15 and 20 uh, witnesses who have been called up so far up to this date. Um, I obviously I will I, I don't have all of their names in my notes and I, I can't recall all of their names. I just want to bring up a couple highlights uh, that I had noticed um, throughout the case. Now, Steve, I don't know if there's any specific questions you wanted to start off with. Well, like the whole the whole reason he says he was there, right, is that now correct me if I'm wrong. The whole reason he says he was there was he was invited by somebody who had like a bar or like a restaurant or a small business of some kind. I'm going to stop there. Yeah, like he was there, he says, under invite to help protect somebody's private property in the event that like people targeted it or for whatever reason it came under attack during the protest. Am I, is that correct? Yes. Um, basically, uh, part of Kyle's defense is that him, as well as I think it was between seven and nine other individuals, um, were all specifically asked by the owners of what's referred to as Car, uh, car Source and Car Doctor. Um, that he was specifically asked by the owners to protect the property. Um, and there was even a group that had stated that one of the had offered to pay them for uh, for defense of said property. 
Um, now, the- on its face, this kind of stuff does sound believable because that kind of thing was happening, right? Like you did see examples of like businesses that were really scared. Like even here in Rockford, like people were boarding up their windows in, in anticipation that riots were going to be happening, even though nothing fucking happened here at all, besides the police being assholes and like trying to start shit themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think part of what was, was going on and what I was going to reason I'm asking that is like, you even had people like lining up in front of targets, like volunteering to like be standing in the way of like these protesters and these vandals who were going to like, you know, these agitators who were going to start shit. And so it is believable on its face that he might've been asked, but it, but it turns out that that's bullshit, right? Yes. Um, so I believe it was either yesterday or maybe on Friday, um, they had called to the stand two of the sons of who are basically either um, managers or uh, um, just employees um, in general of what's referred to as Car Source One, Two, and Car Doctor. Um, and pre- the nights previous before, um, they had both testified that anywhere between twenty to a hundred cars had been set on fire. And they were, um, they had essentially had different members of the community and different people who had driven out to Kenosha um, basically come up to them and, and give their condolences and to, and to give their support. Now, the main, main thing that had happened on, and then actually now that I think about it, it was Friday, or maybe it was Thursday, I can't recall, um, when they had went on testify both of the brothers had mentioned that the there was only two individuals that they had known. The two individuals, I believe one of them was named Nicholas. Um, the other one, I'm forgetting his name at the moment. Uh, but those are the only two people that they knew, and they were former employees, but they had not been working at any of the car sources or car doctor itself for, I think they had said, uh, up to a year, maybe longer. Now, when these brothers had went on stand to testify, uh, both of them had said, stated clearly that none of them had ever met Kyle before. They did not know who he was. Uh, the Knights of, obviously, they know who he is now. And that the individuals that they did know previously because they had employed them, that they didn't have any form of communication with them uh, the days leading up to and the day of the incident, which was August 25th. And the most important thing is, I believe his name is Sam. He had stated that he had never told anybody to defend the property, let alone he had never told any of them that they would be allowed to stay on that property. Um he also mentions that the business where now, really quick, okay. Hirsch, I don't mean to interrupt, but like just play devil's advocate. And I hate to even say that or to do that, but because it is a legal thing, like, is it possible the owner is just trying to cover his ass after the fact? No, without a doubt, that is a very good possibility. Okay. And the only reason I say that is because there was one moment where um, during cross-examination, they had asked how many of the cars were insured. And the first answer was all of them were insured. And then it started changing to, well, some of them are, um, et cetera, et cetera. So there definitely is a possibility. But overall, one of the most important things was 
there was a text message that was sent to the phone of Sam, who was the first of the two sons that was uh, questioned. And the text message had read, Kyle, do you want or need anybody to defend your property tonight? I have, uh, I will be able to come up there and, and help because anybody who's been paying attention to the trial, Kyle Rittenhouse is not a legal resident of Wisconsin. He is a resident of Illinois. His father does live in Kenosha and Kyle had also worked. I believe it was a lifeguard job in Kenosha, but with all that being said, even though it's only about 15, 30 minute drive from where he lives in Illinois, it's still crossing a state border. And I know that's hard for a lot of people to understand, even and, and for somebody like me who doesn't necessarily believe in borders, it's still a border nonetheless. And there's laws for a reason, even if I may disagree with them. So like stuff just applies where it might not elsewhere. That's why this matters. Right. Right. Like it wouldn't really matter necessarily why he was there in other cases if he, for instance, just had a Kenosha address. Exactly, but it's, it, wouldn't it's matter, very, it wouldn't matter as much, I guess. Well, and the main reason it doesn't, or the main reason it does matter, rather, is that um, at a certain point of time on the 25th, the Kenosha Police Department, as well as the Sheriff's Department for that county, um, had closed off the exit ramps that led into Kenosha because they specifically didn't want anybody from out of town to uh, to enter the city and cause any more uh, duress or any more panic or any more damage to property. Well, they all, they all thought it was going to be Antifa buses, you know, coming in with like agitators and fucking people ready to cause left wing violence. That's why they were doing it. But it turned out it was no, it was these actually like these boogaloo boy type motherfuckers who were just looking to kill people. Exactly. And one of the most important things is when they had shown this text message, uh, I believe it was defense who had brought up the, the text message. Um, the, the gentleman Sam, who is one of the sons of uh, the owner, one of the, basically he's an operator, the main operator of the business, because I believe the dad does not speak English. Um, he had stated that he did not see the text message or he didn't recall seeing the text message until the day after. And in the still of the text message, there's no response. So that would be an indication that he had never responded to confirm to Kyle or to anybody else that was there, that he had wanted them there, that he had asked them to be there, or that he was going to pay for their services or protecting the building. Um, that was one of the more important parts of it that had come through it. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to, to quickly touch on on that on that part of it? No, go ahead. Now, the the main issue that I think um, needs to be taken into account is the the judge that is presiding over the case. There's been a lot of talk over um, the credibility of this judge. I believe his name is Judge Stevens. I can't recall the first name, but I believe it's Judge Stevens. Correct me yeah, if I'm wrong. He's, he's been fucking weird. Yes. Um, weird in the aspect of he's been very focused on talking about the media and not in the form of like, you know, don't, you know, jurors don't talk to the media, blah, 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 but just talking about, you know, the way that the media has portrayed certain things and how they show favoritism towards a certain group. Obviously, and ironically, it's the leftists that he had complained about. Um, I think one of the most. 
One of the most questionable moments out of all the things that this judge has said, besides the not being able to refer to the victims who had been shot as victims, but instead rioters or looters only, was there was a point in the case where they were waiting for the jury to come down because anybody who follows court trials, basically what happens, the judge enters, um, they will talk to prosecution and the defense, go over certain things that they might have gone over the previous day, certain objections, uh, certain exhibits of uh, evidence that they want to, to add in um, before the jury comes in. So then that way the jury does not get confused or add the wrong thing into their notes. Now, while they were waiting around for this, I thought it was really questionable and I thought it was kind of fucked up. Um, and this is while the jury was coming in. So he had called the jury down and while the jury had started getting ready to sit down, he had brought up, he goes, this building that we're currently sitting in is over a hundred years old. And you'd be amazed by the amount of property damage that took place and how much money it costs. And to me, obviously, I'm not a fucking lawyer, right? I didn't go to, to college for, uh, for criminal law. But when you have a judge bringing up property damage in a case that's having to do with somebody who shot someone um, over property damage, I think that's kind of a conflict of interest, especially when you are more focused on uh, the building that you're presiding in. Um, over the loss of life in the town that you're presiding in as a judge. I just thought that was very questionable. No, and I think it's setting up a very valid case for appeal if it doesn't go the way that people think it should where, you know, Rittenhouse is taken into account and held responsible. I think the judge's behavior and a lot of the judge's comments and what he's focusing on and what he decides to not allow what he decides to describe like in great detail for some reason to the jurors and takes up like a half an hour. Like, I think a lot of that kind of shit's going to be fodder for, uh, for, for the prosecution if it doesn't turn out the way it should. Yes. Now there's a couple of key things that I want to add into it because, um, at the end of the day, um, obviously, um, I do have a left leaning. However, when it comes to this case, um, I, I definitely want a specific outcome. However, I am very much open to finding out exactly what happened because this is a case that interests me for numerous amounts of reasons, which I'll get into later. But a couple of the keynotes that I wanted to add here is that uh, the person who is still alive that Kyle shot, Mr. Gage Groshewitz, um, he did have a gun. He was the only person that Kyle shot who was armed with a gun. The main thing that is still being speculated is whether or not Groshewitz had aimed the gun at Kyle. Now, there was no evidence to support the fact that Groshewitz had fired his gun. The only thing that the defense is able to come at from a legal standpoint is to claim that moments before um, he had been shot by uh, Kyle Rittenhouse, that he aimed his gun. However, there are numerous um, videos and different pictures that they have shown where moments leading up to Gage Grosswitz being shot, he had his arms up in a surrender-type motion. 
Well, and I would also say to that, if you just shot two people around me and I have a gun on me, I'm probably going to look to shoot you. Well, that's, and that's precisely my point I was going to get to. Um, Sorry, I didn't mean to steal your thunder. No, 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 you're fine. Because the other thing I was going to bring up is that um, the first person that Kyle Brittenhouse had shot was, um, uh, I, I forget his first name at the moment. I think I had said it earlier, but his last name, and he's referred to often in the trial as Mr. Rosenbaum. And there has been different videos that have been shown of Rosenbaum making uh, threats to the group. And I'm saying specifically to the group because it hasn't been proven whether or not he had made the threats to Kyle, but he had made um, different verbal threats saying, if I get you alone, I'm going to fucking kill you. Um, Things of that nature. Um, And there's different drone footage showing, uh, Rosenbaum chasing Kyle down. Now, obviously, um, at that point in time, there were numerous shots that were being fired. And it is very easy to understand that if there are shots being fired, you don't know where they're coming from. You see somebody with a gun, you're going to put two and two together. And in most cases, I would hope so. You would try to do the right thing and subdue or stop said person who is possibly an active shooter. Um, now just for my own personal opinion, just based off of watching the trial, because I have watched all, I believe it's six or seven days now. Uh, if there is a probability of Kyle getting off for anything, it might be the Rosenbaum just based off of the fact that Rosenbaum had chased him. However, my argument and my feeling towards that is how is it that there can be the narrative of self-defense when Kyle has a gun that is literally for intimidating. And when I say a gun that's for intimidating, um, in most cases, the idea of a gun that's used for self-defense is usually referred to like a pistol or a shotgun, um, something that's a low caliber, uh, close close quarters type weapon, right? Because you have to be, you have to see the person who's coming at you to be able to shoot them. You're not going to be able to be using a (coughs) rifle and shoot them from far away. You're not a threat. You're fine. Well, well, you think of like a 38, not a 44, right? Like that's what a self-defense weapon usually is. Yeah, and I mean, it, it can still be argued that a forty-four would be a defense, but it would be a lot. Oh more no, no, sure. but it, like that's the mentality, right? You're not looking to to kill necessarily. You're just l- looking to put down so that you can get away if you have to. Exactly to to shoot and to flee. Um, and I think that the the important thing to note here is after Kyle had shot in Rosenbaum, he well actually let me backtrack for a second. Part of the defense argument for Kyle Rittenhouse is that he was there to attend to play the role of a medic. And that was one of the key things about the trial that has been brought up, that not only did Kyle lie about his age, he lied about um, being the owner of the rifle that he was carrying around that night. And most importantly, he lied about having EMT certification. Now, why is that a big deal? One, it shows a... uh, a pattern of lying. It shows a pattern of untrustworthiness. It shows a pattern of deceitfulness. And most importantly, he's not a trained EMT. So why is he trying to go around shouting medic medic? If he doesn't even fucking know what to do, especially if it's, you know, some sort of uh, combat trauma or anything of that nature. Cause he played um, a really good medic in battlefield. 
Yeah, dude, fucking Call of Duty medics all day, dude. He fucking when he played Overwatch, he used to play, uh, you know, Mercy. He'd be a pocket Mercy for Soldier. Um, now, Lucy all day. After after Kyle had shot and Rosenbaum, there was videos that a lot of people had seen where Kyle walks up to the body, gets on his phone, and calls somebody, and you can hear him numerous times say, "I just shot someone," and he's running away. It's not known whether or not Kyle was calling the police at that moment to uh, inform the authorities that he had just shot someone or if it was somebody from his group. Um, But he runs away from the scene. Now, again, if you're a medic and you're there to help people and you did these these gunshots in terms of self-defense... Would it not be fair to say that you would stop and try to offer help or at least ensure that somebody came over to help that person that you had just shot so you can eventually turn yourself in? Well, he didn't. He runs away and he ends up going back to the car source building, which he had been seen at and had given interviews to different media outlets that night. There was numerous testimony throughout the first several days, including today which had put him back in the car source building. Um, He had came back inside and basically told everybody that was in the group. I just shot somebody. Um, I had to do it. And those were the only things that he had said. There was no sort of, um, I feel bad for what I had to do. Um, I hope he isn't dead. None of that. And the most important thing, he didn't turn himself in. Now, again, if you went there to without malicious intent, and you went there to defend, and you eventually took a life, and you're somebody who supposedly upholds law, would you not want to turn yourself in so then you can at least present yourself in the court like, hey, I know I brought a gun, I know I lied about my age, I know I lied about my certification, but this person, you know, they chased me, I was in fear for my life, I didn't know if they, you know, they had a weapon or whatever, And, you know, after I shot them, I made sure that I at least stayed on scene. I tried to help them or I turned myself in. None of that. Instead, he eventually went back out and shot two other people, killing one of them. Um, And actually, I think he had shot four, but the fourth person hasn't been discovered yet in the trial. Or through investigation, rather. Um, Now, I had mentioned before that the car source owners had stipulated that they did not ask anybody nor pay anybody. Um, I think today was one of the most important days for evidence for prosecution. They had a forensic pathologist that was uh, cross-examined today, and he had confirmed that uh, Rosenbaum, which is the first shooting victim, was killed by a shot to the back. The death wound was a shot to the back. Now, anybody who understands the Castle Doctrine, anybody who understands Stand Your Ground, it clearly states that those are completely thrown out once there is proof that you shoot somebody who is either fleeing or no longer deemed a, quote, threat. Um, I don't know if there's anything else that you wanted to add really quickly or ask. No, I think you made it perfectly clear. Um, well, I, I will I, say just really quickly, like you said that there's a possible fourth person, like 
when he ran away, did he continue to shoot at people, or, or, or was this like the same group of people that he then was starting to chase down that were with the other guy? Now, so this is the thing. Um, after Kyle had shot the first person, Rosenbaum, that's when he starts running down the street, and that's where I think the video that a lot of people have seen where he's on the ground and people are surrounding him. There was um, Anthony Huber, which is the person who had the skateboard that everybody's seen the video of mm-hmm. when he was uh, hitting Kyle with it. Yeah, I do remember that one. And uh, there was Gage Groschwitz, the man who I'd mentioned before, who had gotten shot in the arm. And then the fourth individual that I'm referring to is also seen in the video um, trying to either get on top to subdue the gun or to get on top of Kyle to to do something to to stop this kid from fucking shooting more people. Um, he had gotten shot as well, but again, he never turned himself into a hospital. He never came forward during investigations. They still, to this day, do not know who that is. Okay. No, I just um, wanted to make sure that we established, like, the, the timeline. No, for sure. Um, after the forensic pathologist had come up on, on uh, Stan and had noted that two out of the four wounds from Mr. Rosenbaum were um, inflicted in a horizontal position, which means that either while falling or while on the ground, those were the shots that were inflicted. After that, the prosecution ended up resting. Um, And for those who don't follow court, whenever the prosecution says that they're at rest, that means that they no longer have any witnesses on their behalf that they're going to ask to testify. It is now on the defense to bring up their witnesses. Now, there was, I believe, three witnesses today that defense had called up. Um, The first one was uh, a lady who had been there and who was in a photo um, that had featured the individuals, the, the militiamen that were with Kyle as well as one of the owners of the building who said that they didn't really know Kyle at all, but they had known two of the individuals who worked there before. And it seemed very obvious from the jump that she had a certain bias and a certain perceived outcome that she wanted. Um, She was very cooperative and very friendly when it came to the defense examination. But once the prosecution came in, she started talking over prosecution um, not allowing them to answer, uh, ask their questions and gave a lot of um, opinions rather than actual truthful facts. And the most important um, witness that had been called up uh, for the defense at the, at the end was, um, was a gentleman who was part of the little militia group He had told the jury and uh, the courtroom that he had mentioned to Kyle that Kyle needed to turn himself in. And Kyle never did. And um, he had also mentioned that he had, uh, he didn't bring a gun with him. He was one of the few people that was part of that little militia group who wasn't armed. Uh, When he, when he initially came there, he eventually did become armed at the end of the night. But he had stated that the reason that he wasn't armed is because he felt it was very counterintuitive to present himself as somebody who was there to help because he had a medic helmet on himself. 
he said it would be counterintuitive for him to have a gun and then also try to claim that he was there to help people and also that uh, he had pepper spray and a pepper gun to deter anybody because at the end of the day, when you are in defense, you were not trying to kill. Instead, you were trying to injure and get away to preserve your life. Um, that was one of the most important ones. And then there was one last witness um, that prosecution had basically ripped apart because he had uh, not only was he somebody that just happened to forget specifics um, in his original testimony that he had given um, to detectives, to the FBI, into the city of Kenosha. But he just so happened to remember it while he was on the stand a year later. Um, they kind of ripped into him and you ended up finding out that he had uh, done an interview with a publication that was specifically holding a grudge against the district attorney of Kenosha, as well as started advertising pictures he took of that night on the website to be sold, which would show a conflict of interest. Yeah, to say the least. To say the very least. Um, and I just thought it was very important to, to point out that not only was he somebody that was looking to get a personal gain out of it, he had also, as I had mentioned, had left out specific things like some of the uh, – some of the uh, supposed words that were exchanged between Rosenbaum and Rittenhouse. Um, and with that, I, I just want to quickly kind of wrap it up because I know we're getting close here. I think that it's a very, it, it's very stupid to think that it is perfectly acceptable to have somebody claim defense when they're going around, walking around with the fucking AR-15 and say that that's fine, but if somebody grabs a chain or a chunk of concrete or a plastic water bottle, whether or not it's filled with ammonia and bleach or not, and to claim that those people are violent and claim that those people are a threat, but the guy walking around with the fucking AR-15, which was the only person who ended up fucking killing anybody that night, is not dangerous, but the other people are. I think that's just completely dumb. And I think that depending on how this case goes, it will set a very dangerous precedent because if you if you end up allowing Kyle to walk off without any charges whatsoever, what I'm worried is going to happen is that whenever you have one of these fucking white kids who doesn't get his chicken nuggies on time, uh, when they decide to shoot up a school or when they decide to shoot up a church or a movie theater, anybody who tries to stop him or stop that person rather, from doing that act, from doing that act they'll be able to get sued now by the person who did the shooting because self-defense. And and that's just the precedent that I'm, that I'm worried about happening. No, that is a scary thought. And I don't really have much confidence overall in that trial or, or pretty much in the justice system at all to make the right decision when it comes to these kind of things. But I just had one last question. I know you're trying to wrap it up, but did you get the impression from everything that you've seen? Does the does the prosecution does the DA like does he really care, or is it just going through, or are they just going through the motions to make sure that they don't seem like they're they're not doing their job? Honestly, the prosecution seems pretty fucking weak. Um, it usually it does. Seems, I mean, I felt the same way during the Zimmerman trial. I I honestly feel that. Uh, they're not as well equipped or maybe not as well prepared. I, I can't say whether or not it's because they, they want things to go one way or another. It just seems that 
Um, the defense is a lot more sharp, and they're able to make a lot better legal arguments than the prosecution is, which leads me to to have the same conclusion that you do, which is to not really have much faith that um, the verdict is going to go the way that it possibly should be. Yeah, and, and other than that, I'll just I'll end my kind of thoughts on it with there are either two ways to think about him, regardless of whether this trial goes one way or the other. Either he's a LARPer who thought he was going to play G.I. Joe and things got out of hand and he didn't know how to fucking respond and he panicked the entire fucking time, whether he had good intentions or not, you know? Or the other possibility is that he's part of this pattern of right-wingers who just want to engage in violent behavior because, like you said, Hirsch, like they don't see people who disagree with them as, as people worthy of, of having a life anymore. And it fits this pattern of, of right-wingers who are like willing to drive through protesters, you know, because they don't like what they're talking about or are willing to shoot up a group of people because they think that a property might get touched. And they're even willing to drive across state lines with a weapon, you know, and make it federal to do that. Well, and, and and the thing is, it's it's a joke because they're trying to present Rosenbaum as this writer and looter, but there's only a video of him pushing a dumpster and knocking over a porta potty. So, based off of evidence, right? Because you know, when it comes to court, you can't base a verdict off of suspicion or interpretation; it has to be fact. Yeah, not hearsay. So, if that's the case, like. Kyle Rittenhouse was defending a fucking porta potty in a dumpster. So basically, what all su- white suburban kids do, like knock over porta potties and shit, we should be able to just go fucking shoot them then, right? Yeah. Like, that's no, basically. Like, it, it ties into like I was saying with that that grievance culture and, and Aaron Rodgers and people like it, where they're so upset at, at whoever it might be that they're they're not thinking of things rationally and they're not, they're not engaging in behavior that is social at all. It's very antisocial and it's very tied into, to the idea that they, that society is out to get them somehow or like certain people in society are out to get them, you know? Yeah. They're the victims. Cause you know, they want American values and nobody else does blah, blah, blah. Yeah, um, just to tie it to what we had previously talked about, but I, th- I, I think you did a very good summary of, of where things are standing so far. Yeah, I, I try to. I mean, honestly, I could talk about this trial all fucking night, but I know you got to get ready for, for sleep. It's getting late over there. It's almost one in the morning here for myself. Um, uh, is there anything else that you wanted to quickly add before we wrap it up? Yeah, just to kind of tie into our Latin America series, um, I know we have our wrap-up episode coming up in two episodes where we have our Haiti episode next, and then we're going to do a wrap-up episode. Um, I kind of had a favor I was going to ask you, Hirsch. I don't know if you ever heard of a book called 100 Years of so- Solitude. Um, I've heard of, but not read. Okay. I don't expect you to read it. Uh, I, I don't have a chance to read the entire thing before our episode, but if people want to, check out at least like the Wikipedia entry or you know like a summary of it that you can find online. It's basically about the same stuff that we've been talking about in our Latin American series. It's about patterns that repeat over and over because it's about this family where the patriarch builds a city in Colombia that gets involved in Latin American politics and Latin American history. And over like eight generations, um, similar patterns keep on repeating themselves. And I thought it was really cool how it tied into what we were talking about. And I was going to mention it a little bit in our wrap-up episode. So I figured if anybody wanted to before that episode, check it out. Like I said, just check out the wiki. 
Um, 100 Years of Solitude is the title. It's uh, pretty cool. Yes. Um, and, and I'll just quickly add in to, to wrap it up. Uh, again, at the end of the day, um, even though I think people like Kyle Rittenhouse and specifically Kyle Rittenhouse himself are fucking um, nothing but heathens or as the Republicans like to say the word, which has a lot of racist undertones to it when they use it, a fucking thug. Um, just keep in mind that um, at the end of the day, this was somebody who lied about his age, lied about being a resident of Kenosha, lied about EMT certification, lied about getting permission directly from the owner of the place he was supposed to defend, um, and lied about surrendering himself to the police because there never was one part of that night where he surrendered himself now i know there's a video of him walking up with his hands up but that's not surrendering that was something that they had done throughout the night to show the cops that they were with quote them um so just keep that in mind as the trial continues and as other incidents like this happen because it will um so just keep that in mind uh but I think that is about all we have for tonight. Thank you to everybody who listened. Sorry if I had uh, ranted a little bit too much or gotten off course. No, you're um, good. Tried sticking everything as much as I could. But I think it was an overall good episode, and I uh, appreciate you, Steve. Oh, same here, man. Um, but, yeah, we'll be seeing you next episode. Uh, we'll be talking about Haiti and then another fun episode, and then we'll be doing our Latin American uh, wrap up episode but until then make sure to uh, wash your hands and wipe your butt peace